Good morning and welcome again. My name is Craig Thompson. I'm the senior pastor here and it is our privilege to have you with us as we've gathered together this morning to worship the Lord Jesus Christ right here at Christmas. If you have your Bible, we will be in the book of 1 John in just a few minutes. Uh, I've got to give you a few announcements. I don't do a lot of those, but I've got to do that this morning. But let me just tell you, if you have a hard time finding 1 John, you're not the only one in here. So don't be afraid to use the table of contents in the front of your Bible. Uh, but it's, uh, it's at the end. So if you go all the way to the end, you get to the book of Revelation, just kind of work your way backwards, and you'll get to 1 John real quickly, okay? So, um, but uh, 1 John chapter 2, and while you're turning there, let me give you a few announcements. Um, right after our service this morning, we, we have to have a a uh, business meeting to approve our church budget. If you're a guest with us, we're going to give you time to leave. You can stay if you want to. we got nothing to hide, but you probably don't want to. So uh, we'll give you time to get out and go grab your kids and all that other stuff. Uh, but we do have to approve that this morning. There is a cantata tonight. Adam already mentioned that. Um, there's a drop-in at my house tomorrow evening, and you're all invited because we just we're like that. We enjoy having you. So there's information about that that's been emailed out to you. We'd love to have you. But there's two things I want to make sure I give special attention to. First, at this time of the year, we do emphasize our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which is a mission offering that we collect every single year. All the money that goes to Lottie Moon go, leaves here. None of it stays right here. It all goes to fund missions, missionaries on the field. So I'd encourage you to prayerfully consider how it is that you would give to Lottie Moon. The other thing is about money. And uh, I try not to beg you guys for stuff, but I like to make sure that you're aware. Last week, we had a uh, generous... Uh, donor who's not even a member of our church that reached out and offered to match gifts up to $100,000 to our building fund through the 1st of February, through February the 1st. Um, let me explain how amazing this is for us as a church body. Um, if we can reach that goal, which means we need to raise, raise $100,000 by February the 1st, uh, if we can do that, then that gets doubled to $200,000. Uh, and with the budget overage that we're going to have at the end of the year, uh, we will have this building paid off in February if we do that. You can clap, whoever was, yeah. Um, I saw somebody move like you're going to, um, which means that we can be out of debt for a few months before we go into it all over again for the next project. Uh, but um, uh, this is an incredible opportunity for us as a church body. And uh, just so you know the job that you're doing, and this is what's really important, so that you know the job that you're doing. Uh, you guys are making the kind of impact in this community. People are buying in, into the vision of this church in such a way that folks who are not members of our church body feel con com compelled to support the ministry and the vision of this church in that kind of way. So uh, great job. You're being the hands and the feet of Jesus in this community, and it's making an impact. So please don't stop what you're doing. All right? Um, so anyway, I just want to make you aware of those things. And we're going to trust the Lord to provide as he would, uh, but a really cool opportunity for you to double your building fund gifts from now through February the 1st, and you'll hear more about that in coming weeks. Okay, having said all of that, let's get to why we're here. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I am so eager to preach this sermon. We may be here for two hours. If y'all will listen quick, we can do it quicker. I'm confident of that. All right, stand with me in honor of God's word. Here now, for this is his word. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would speak loudly and clearly to us. Lord God, bring us home, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There's nothing like home. Is Christ your peace this morning? Is he your peace? We're going to wrestle with that question, but there's, there's really just absolutely nothing like home. Um, we're, we're going to sort of walk today. Today's the fourth Sunday of Advent. We already saw this, and, and in our Advent devotional and in our Advent focus, we're focusing on peace, and we're going to kind of walk in the back door of that house today, and we're going to find Christ's peace in sort of a weird way. We're going to work our way through 1 John. Now, 1 John is not a typical Christmas passage. Some of you that were here a few weeks ago, we've already been in 1 John once this month. I'm actually in 1 John almost by accident. I I went to 1 John chapter 2 on a Wednesday night a few weeks ago and felt so just convicted by what the Lord was giving me out of that passage that I wanted to share it on Sunday morning. And it just works so perfectly with the direction that we're headed, speaking of Christ's peace here at the Christmas season. So we're going to walk in sort of a back door to to, to, to these Christmas passages through the book of 1 John. I want to remind you a little bit about what 1 John is. Is. Now, 1 John is a letter written to a church in probably, not probably, in the first century. So we're talking about somewhere 70, 80, 90 AD. We might not know 100% sure exactly when it was written, but somewhere in that time frame. We know that it was written before the Apostle John died because he wrote the book. And he wrote this to a local congregation, sort of like ours. Like, look around, this is much, but much smaller. They were probably meeting in a house. And in this local congregation, um, there, there's already been division. There's been division from within. And what's happened is the inside of this local church, there's been a faction that has grown up. And this faction has sort of poked their chest out and said, we know what real Christians, like varsity level, grown up Christianity looks like. Y'all are just kind of doing the childish thing. We're the ones that really haven't figured out. And y'all that aren't doing the right thing, we're just going to leave y'all to be the children. And we're going to go over here and do our own thing and start our our own church. And so it's in the midst of this controversy that the Apostle John writes to this local congregation. He writes to a church that's endured a split and a spiritual attack, or attack, not a spiritual attack, a spiritual attack from within. And John writes as a concerned father. That's why we get him right there in 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things. He wants, if he could, to go there and just gather them together and give them these words of encouragement. Y'all, the Lord has beaten me up with this message. That's the truth. I've been awake since 4.30 this morning. I read 1 John this morning like a quarter to five, the whole thing. I was praying, Lord, I think I would preach better if you'd let me sleep. But he didn't. Maybe he knows. I don't know. But I can tell you, when you read 1 John at 4.45 in the morning... I would encourage you to do that, by the way. I'll, I'll call y'all tomorrow morning. We'll all do it together. When you read 1 John that early in the morning, the, the, the fatherly tone just really jumps off the page. There's, there's the recognition in this passage of God's love, is, or of, of John's love and tender care for his people as he 
writes to them. And this morning, I want you to look with me at this passage of Scripture. And I want us to see three things in this passage of Scripture. The first thing I want you to see is that you have an advocate. You have an advocate. Now, with this fatherly concern, we see John writing and urging these people not to sin. Right? That's what he says. I'm not, I'm, I, I know that because it's right there on the page. My little children, I'm writing these, these things to you so that you may not sin. Why is John writing this? Did you hear what I said? This is a church that's been through a difficult place, a difficult season, a time of split. They've been hurt. They've been accused. Hurt people have a tendency to hurt people. You heard that before? Some of you walk in here hurting and you know how tempting it can be in the middle of your hurt and your pain to lash out at other people. John's writing to them and he says, do not sin. Don't don't act out in anger. But then I love so much that John shifts his tone from simply this is what you shouldn't do to digging down into the reality of what might actually happen. He says, do not sin. But then he says, but if you do. How many of y'all had a father or a mother, a parent in your life that gave you direction, command, and expectation, but then lovingly put their arm around you and said, but if you do, just know I will always be your father. How many of you had that parent that looked at you and said, don't do these things, but if you do, call me and I'll come get you. Y'all been there before? He says, but if you do sin, look, this is your first application point today. Don't sin, but if you do, I want you to know there's still hope. Watch. God is not looking for a reason to cast you out. Some of you sort of tiptoe into a church building because you know where you've been and what you've done. And and there's a thought in the back of your mind that if these people know who I actually am, then they're not going to want me here. Maybe there's a thought in the back of your mind that if God actually catches me here, I'll be lucky to make it out alive because this place is going to burn down around you. Folks, I want you to know that God is not looking for a reason to cast you out. He sent His one and only Son into the world that you might have forgiveness for your sin. God's creating ways for you to be welcomed into His family. Not looking for reasons for you to be excluded from His people. If you do sin, John says we have an advocate. Have you ever waited for someone to tell you the truth so that you could love them lavishly? Angela and I had a friend like this uh, one time. This friend had, had made some terrible mistakes in their life. And, but they, they had not confided any of those things in us. Um, they were making some lifestyle choices that we absolutely disagreed with. But if you ever had it happen, it kind of came to us in a backdoor way. As a pastor, I get these things sometimes. Like somebody stops by my office and they're like, Hey, would you be praying for so-and-so? And I'm like, sure, what's going on? Well, you can't tell anybody because you're not supposed to know, but this is what's going on. It was one of those things, right? Somebody stops by and, and sat down with Angel and I and said, I'm, I'm concerned for my friend. You can't know all this, but this is what's going on. And so we sat on that news, literally. We sat, we, we prayed. We, we were burdened for this person for years. And we looked forward to a day, and I'll never forget the day that that person sat in our old house in the living room. I remember where we were all sitting, and that person sat in there, and that person said, there's something that I need to tell y'all about my life. And she began to just unfold all of these layers of poor decisions. And we just kept smiling, and she said, are y'all not surprised? And this was, Angel and I had rehearsed it. We were so eager to look at her and say, we've known she said, you knew, we knew. 
and we've loved you anyway. We knew and we loved you anyway. We've been looking forward to the day when we could let you know that we have already forgiven you. That we did it a long time ago and we've been eager to share that news. How many of you ever had your child? You were just eager to get them past the bad decision, the bad mistake, so that you could love them on the other side. This is God, John saying to them, if you do sin, there is an advocate. What is this? He goes on, he says, he is the propitiation, the advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. That's one of those big words. It means he is our atoning sacrifice. He says, there is one who's made a way. Y'all stick with me. I hadn't gotten to the, I mean, this is amazing, but I'm telling you, there's, there's, a, there's an application coming on the back side of this that I'm, I'm very excited about. Um, but he's the propitiation. John wants us to know that Jesus died for us. He wants you to know that Jesus died for you. Isn't that that something? Don't sin, but if you do, don't give up. If you do sin, the world didn't end because Jesus has actually made a way. He is your atoning sacrifice. He's made a way to give you hope. He's fighting for you. So I want you to know first this morning that you have an advocate. The second thing, oh, I should have given you all a warning. We're going to move through like the first two and a half points really rapidly. So some of y'all going to be looking at your watch. But like, this is going to be the quickest sermon ever. Don't get your hopes up. The third point is like 27 minutes long. So you've been warned, okay? I want you to know how we're working through this. So the first thing this morning, you have an advocate. The second thing, you have assurance. Or you can have assurance. Some of you struggle to believe that God could actually love you that you can actually be saved, that there could actually be laid up for you an eternal home with Christ, that you could face the world knowing that you belong to Jesus. There's this scene, I'm sure that you love it as much as I do, in the movie version of of the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there's a scene where, if you recall, Edmund's messed up nearly everything. He's made all sorts of mistakes. And uh, and as a result of, of this... Um, there, there's an evil witch. You got to work. If you hadn't seen it, this thing will sound near as good, okay? But she's, she looks at this boy with Aslan standing there and she speaks of the hold that, 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 that she has over him, the deep magic. And, and Aslan, if you remember, how many of you have seen the movie? Okay, that makes it a whole lot easier. I don't have to explain it all. And he says, Don't cite the deep magic to me, witch. I was there when it was written. Remember that? There's this moment in a movie where this lion roars in protection of a scared child. Do not intimidate him. He belongs to me. He gives assurance and encouragement. Listen, John is writing to a people who are scared. Let me explain how this fear was. Remember, these are people who have been through a split. And the people that have left the church have gone off and they said, we're the real believers and y'all are just something else. Y'all ain't got it figured out. I shared this on Wednesday night a few weeks ago with, uh, with the Wednesday night crowd. Um, I grew up with a man in my life that I was very close to. He's from the mountains of North Carolina. His name is Don Payne. And Don grew up in the hills of North Carolina. And he grew up in a little Baptist church there. And... Uh, um, uh, there was a, a, a pastor who was there one time, and, and during that man's ministry, there were many people who came to the Lord. These were people that would have been his contemporaries. Um, that pastor went on. Mr. Payne moved away from the mountains. But uh, there, there came uh, a concern that rippled through the church. Some years after that pastor had left, the truth about his ministry was found out. 
And it was discovered that this pastor who had led all these people to know the Lord Jesus Christ was actually a huge hypocrite. So he was preaching on Sunday mornings, but then on Sunday night or Monday morning, he was taking a a, a wagon load of moonshine across the mountain and shacking up with some woman on the other side. And it actually created a crisis of faith for the people in the church because they questioned whether or not their salvation was real. If it had been, if it had been one, if it had been, if it had come to them during that man's ministry. And they were afraid and they were nervous. And of course, there were some that went back and preached the truth and said, Your salvation is not dependent upon the preacher, your salvation is dependent upon Christ. But they found assurance in the word and in the hope that God's word gives. John's writing to people who were scared just like those people are scared. And he's writing to you today if you live in fear. I want you to know that you can have confidence in your salvation. You can have assurance. John gets to write with them with, to them with confidence because John had lived with Jesus. John had walked with Jesus. There were these people who were saying a real follower of Jesus would do all of these things. And John writes and says, my little children, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I was there when the foundations were laid. I have eaten with Jesus and I have seen Judas walk away. John knew those who had left the faith. And so John says, those who have left the faith do not keep the commandments of Christ. But those who belong to the faith, they walk with Jesus. They look like Jesus. Why would John know this? Because he had seen the other 11 apostles suffer and die because of their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it incredible that imposters often come in to sow seeds of doubt, but they're not willing to suffer for those seeds of doubt? Folks, I want you to know that you can know for sure that you belong to God. How? It's not rocket science. God's children keep God's commandments. God's children keep God's commandments. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? If you have, and if you live according to His commandments and expectations for your life, I don't want you to live in fear. Right? Because when God saves you and redeems you, He changes you. And folks, it's okay if you don't always feel like you belong to Jesus. I want you to know something. It's not nearly as important that you feel like you belong to Jesus than that Jesus knows who you are. One of the great confidences I've always had is I've ministered to those folks with Alzheimer's and dementia. That is, their memory has faded. One thing that we've always been encouraged to know is this. There could come a point in time in those people's lives when they can no longer call on the name of the Lord Jesus that they might even forget Jesus' name. But he will never forget your name. He's He's graving your name into his hands. He loves you. He knows you. And it doesn't matter what goes on in your life, how you might feel today. He hasn't stopped with the love that only a parent can come close to understanding. He loves in a way that never gives out, that never gives up. 
God's children keep God's commandments. Also, Christ's disciples walked, walk as Jesus walked. We mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I'll say it to you again. Jesus said, the world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. There's an expectation in God's word that God's people be people that are loving. That they love one another. They love him and they love the world around them. I'll just be blunt with you. It's difficult for me to fathom a person that belongs to Jesus Christ that is just sour and unkind. Because that runs so counter to who Jesus Christ is. John says, I don't want you to sin, but if you do, there's an advocate. He says, but if you're worried to death about where you're going to end up, I want you to know those people that have gone out and are not following according to God's word, they're the ones that should be concerned. Those of you that are living according to God's word, you can have assurance. Third this morning, though, you have a place. Look on down, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Y'all stick with me. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. John speaks of abiding in Jesus. This isn't the only place that John's going to do it. He does it in the Gospel of John as well. Listen, look at me. Jesus is your safe place. Jesus is your safe place. He's given you a place. You can run to Jesus today. There's hope to be found in him. But this is what's wild. It isn't only Jesus. I was telling somebody this morning that I was struggling to find the right word. They said, well, you're a preacher. It's Jesus. It's always Jesus. It, it would be amazing if, if all that Jesus gave us was himself. It would be enough. And yet, in his grace and mercy, he's given us even more. It's, it's not just that he gave us himself. He's not only our safe place, our eternal security. It's not only Jesus. God is so gracious and kind that he gives us eternal security and safety in Christ Jesus. But he also gives us a safe place here and now. One that we can touch and relate to like physically and intimately. See, Jesus' people are your safe place. This is why God's given us His church. This is why things like abuse within the church are so egregious. Because the church is to be the safe place for the world. It's God's house on earth. The kingdom of God is the people of God and the place of God under the rule and the blessing of God. That means that when the church of Jesus Christ is gathered together, here is God's kingdom. This is your safe place. But not only is Jesus your safe place, not only has he given us a safe place, Jesus is the peace that brings God's people home. I'm going to throw a passage of scripture up on the screen real quick. Well, wait a minute. Y'all might want to write that down. Jesus is the peace that brings God's people home. What? Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. Throw that up there on the screen for me. I'm going to read to you. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return. Do you see that? Shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord is God. And they shall dwell secure for now. He shall be great at the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. 
Jesus is the peace that brings God's people home. This is what Micah's prophesying right here, that God's people are going to be brought out of their bondage and returned to their homeland in their safe place. And he prophesies one who's going to do it, and the one that he speaks of is actually Jesus Christ. He is your safe place. He is your home. And Micah's promise is that God would bring his people home. Now we pull this thing back around. Listen to me. John wrote to a group of people who were in a mess. And they questioned their salvation. They were hurt. They had been sinned against. If any of you have gone through like family hurt or church hurt, then you know that more likely than not, it's not just that they had been sinned against. They had sinned against others. You know what it's like to be hurt. You know what it's like to lash out. These people had done all of those things. And in the middle of it, John writes to them. And this fatherly pastor, this old man, writes to them with these promises. If you do sin, if you do sin, there's an advocate. And this advocate desires for you to abide with him. And he wants to bring you home. Don't sin, he says. But what if you've already messed up? See, that's, that's where I think we, we miss it sometimes in the church. Y'all show up and you hear me preach about, about sanctification and glorification. You hear me preach about salvation in Christ. And you sit there in the back and you go, that's great news, Pastor. But you don't know where I've been. It's really great news for you to talk about that. But you don't understand who I am. And these are the promises that are coming from God's word. But watch. You remember what I told you? What did John write? He, he wrote... He wrote Several books that we know about. So he wrote all the, the letters, right? The first and the second Johns, right? We got that. He wrote the book of Revelation, okay? And then he also wrote the Gospel of John. And in, in, in that Gospel, this, this same John, we are reminded that he had a relationship with Jesus. Now, he didn't just have like a passing relationship with Jesus. He was one of Jesus' best friends. Jesus' inner circle. These were those who he was closest to. And in that gospel, where he had that relationship, we are reminded of a lot of other things he said. So he writes to them and he says, don't sin. But if you do, there's an advocate. And I know him. You see that? There's an advocate and John says, all those people that are telling you about what Jesus supposedly is, he says, wait a minute. I know him. I don't just know about him, I know him. It's like being in one of those, those old Southern Baptist churches, maybe you've been in one and somebody stood up to give a testimony and they said, let me tell you about my Jesus. John says, I know him. This is way better than Buddy the Elf and Santa Claus. I know him. Wait, wait. Don't sin, but if you do and, you, and you've already messed up, this is John don't mess up, but if you do, no, 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 watch. If you already have, 
I've got great news because the same John who wrote 1 John chapter 2 also wrote John chapter 14. And I believe that I gave them the wrong. Yeah, no. We're, we're going to throw that up there. I want to read, we're going to read this together. 14, 1 through 3. Watch. Ready? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Keep going. In my Father's house, ready, are many rooms. If it were not so, what I've told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Keep going. That where I am, or, and if I go to prepare a place for, for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Go back to verse 2 for me real quick. Some of you that grew up on the King James, you say, that's not what it says. I, look, I know what your King James says, okay? Uh, and it's all translation. The King James says, in my father's house are many mansions. It's, 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 a, it's a difference in interpretation or translation. Our time difference in the language kind of confuses us. This, this gets a little wild because if you read in the King James in the 21st century, you assume that God's like built this special like golden palace for you to, to show up. And there you are to, to live out. But it's actually way better. Y'all have heard me if you've been here more than like a year. You've heard me talk about this a lot because it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. See, it's, it's not that Jesus has built this mansion for you. No, 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 no. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. Jesus didn't go build a mansion for you on the back 40 and send you out back. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you so that I can bring you home. Our whole theme this holiday season, this Christmas season, has been home for the holidays. And most of you assume that when you think about a home for the holidays, you're running home to see Mama. And that's fine. I hope you do. But the promise in God's word is not primarily that you're going to run home and see mama. The promise in God's word is that Jesus has taken you home to see his father. See, the great news is that there's an advocate. And this John who wrote about this advocate says, I know him. And those people that are telling you about what he's like, you don't know what I know because I was there on the night that Judas betrayed him. Do you know that that's when this passage is given to us? He's getting ready to leave. And he says, I am going away. This is where we get doubting Thomas going, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Right? But before he gets there, he says, I'm going to my father's house. He writes to these people. In 1 John, he writes to this church. He's the old man. And he says, I know this Jesus that you worship. And he has not forgotten you. And he has not cast you out. And I know that as I write to you, I'm writing to people who are scared and who are hurt and who are alone. I'm writing to people who have let the Lord down. I'm writing to people who have sinned. And I'm writing to you to know that if Jesus has gone to prepare a place, he's going to come again. And he's not giving up. He hasn't quit. He hasn't walked away. He hasn't stopped. See, this is the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. Jesus came to bring God's people home, but not to the home they expected. Malachi's prophecy said, I'm going to bring them home. But the home was not merely an earthly home. Jesus didn't come to bring us back to our home. He came and died and rose again to take you to his home. That where he is, you may be also.
I've prayed for many of you in this room today because I wanted to share this message with you. I'm really tired because some of you have been praying for it since like 445. When I ran out of 1 John, when the Lord wouldn't let me go back to sleep, I started praying for y'all. So, you know, thank him. <laughs> but I've been praying because the reality is for some of you this seems entirely too good to be true. This thought that anyone, especially the God of the universe, could love you so much that he would make a way for you to be with him. Here's what I want you to know. You have not fallen too far. You have not fallen too far. You have not sinned too far. You have not run too far. You messed up. Okay. Some of you have royally messed up. All right. Some of you have messed up in such a way that you did it on purpose. It wasn't even an accident. You just sinned boldly. Okay. You're scared. You're hurt. You're angry, you're alone, whatever word it may be. Listen, just come home. Just come home. That's what I want you to know this morning. And that's what I believe that John wanted this church to know. That there was a home for them in Christ. There was a home for them in His church. You see, when we speak about home for the holidays, it's much bigger than mama's house, but a whole lot of you know what it's like to have a home where you can limp into, to show up at the front door, and it doesn't matter what's happened for the last 364 and a half days. As long as you made it to the front door, you can walk in. As long as you made it onto the back porch, somebody will drag you in. Some of you parents, you know what I'm talking about. You look at your children and say, I don't care where you've been and what you've done. Just come home. Just come home. And I want you to know that God loves you with that kind of love. The kind of love that says, just get home. You say, Craig, you don't understand. I've let too many people down. Just come home. Craig, I, 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 I couldn't. It would be too embarrassing. How many of you have been kept away from your family because you were too embarrassed to admit you were wrong? Man. How many have been kept away from the people you love because you're too embarrassed by your sin? Oh, just come home. Christ is your advocate. That means he's actually fighting for you, advocating on your behalf. He's going to bat for you and standing in the gap. Yes, you've messed up. 
but he's willing to bring you with him. How many of y'all grew up in a house that had an extra seat at the table anytime somebody came home with you? Y'all have that? Like somebody just shows up, well, there's food for you too. How many of you just bring somebody home and let you make your mama feed them? Make her feed them. She was happy to feed them, you know? She wasn't really. She's like, oh, there's eight more people. Uh, I guess we're having cereal for dinner. You know? I mean, how many of y'all had that? Imagine that, that your advocate, your big brother, is Jesus Christ. And he's intervening, and he's interceding, and he's advocating, and he's fighting for you. He's your advocate. Christ is your assurance. I remind my kids all the time what their last name is. I want them to be reminded that they share the same last name as me. That nothing can take that away. I have a brother that's adopted and um, sort of like, and he, but we don't share the same last name. So when his oldest son was born, his middle name is Thompson. To make sure that there's a connection that we can't get rid of and you can't undo it. You've got an advocate and you've got assurance. He gave you a new name and he claims you as his own. And when he claims you, guess what? It doesn't really matter what you do. He said you belong to him. I tell my kids that every once in a while. I love you. You're mine. I'm frustrated with you today, but you still belong to me, and nothing can undo that. You might even be angry at me. You might not want to see me, but you will never stop being my child. And the Bible says that we belong to God in an even greater way. If we, as earthly fathers, know how to give our children good gifts, the Bible says, how much more, our heavenly Father? Come home. Come home. He's your assurance. He hasn't left you. You might have tried to run away, but he's not going anywhere. He's still at home waiting for you to show up. He's your peace. Oh, a balm to your troubled heart. Forgiveness for all of your sin. He died to make peace in your life and between you and your God. He's your peace. He's your place. He says, abide in me. Come and be with me me he's your safe place and then he's given you the church to be your safe place on earth y'all we talked about this in our life group this morning there's some of y'all that are in this room that have found home right here i love this time of year because our college kids come home y'all know how much i wanted to make y'all stand up today so i could cheer y'all i didn't because I, I didn't want y'all to hate me but i love it now, some of our college kids, they strut in and they're like, Pastor Craig, let me tell you about how great my year's been. And they're like, they've been growing in Jesus. And all this. Some of our kids limp in here. And they go, Pastor Craig, can, can, we, can we get together this week? Yeah. Do you know how many meals I've bought? So I've got to hear college students tell me about the mistakes they made. They still know where home is. You see, it thrills my soul when they limp in. Because when they limp in, they still know where they're going to be welcomed he here. 
They find home. Christ is your place, and then he gives you a place here on earth. Some of y'all know what it's like. You don't have any family, and this is it. For some of you, this is the most supportive place, and he gives it to us. He's your place, and then you ready? You ready? He is your home. I go to a fair place that where I am, you may be also, right? He said all that. Thomas says, Lord, how do we get there? You ready? We didn't get to that part. Here it comes. I am the way. Jesus is the front door. You get it? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who comes to the Father must come through me. He's the front door. And when you walk up and you knock, guess what he says? He says, well done. Come home. You say, Lord, I don't deserve it. You kind of knock timidly. You kind of hope nobody answers, but when you knock, the door opens wide and Jesus says, forgiven and free and you're mine. Some of you are standing on the front porch like this. Some of you walked up and you kind of touched the doorbell and hoped that nothing actually happens, right? Please don't let there be a dog in there barking so that nobody knows I'm out here. Folks, here's what I want you to know. Jesus is ready and he's waiting. Will you come home today to Jesus? I'd love you to come home to Malvern Hill. We'll welcome you with open arms. But even if you're not ready to make that commitment, would you come home today to Jesus? Would you come find salvation in a Savior who was born at Christmas but who died on Good Friday and rose again from the grave on Easter Sunday? John wrote to a people that were scared and hurt and lonely. Ah, maybe not lonely, but who knows? They were definitely scared and hurt and afraid. And he says, I knew him. I know him. And he'll take you in. Scarred, battered, and bruised. He will take you in. So this morning, the invitation is just that. Will you come home? You say, Craig, I don't know if I can get... Will you just come home? I don't have anything to offer. Just come home. I don't deserve it. Fine. Just come home. Jesus is ready and waiting. Y'all know the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal got within eye shot. And the father ran to meet him. He had been waiting to look at his son and say, Son, I love you. I forgive you. And this is your home. Will you come home today? Come find hope. healing let's pray together Father in heaven I pray God that with Christ our advocate with Christ our assurance with Christ our peace with Christ our home bring us home Lord bring us hope bring us healing I pray for those here today who have no peace I pray Lord God today they'd find peace in Jesus his name we pray Amen. Stand with us as we sing this morning.